1: Hey there, and welcome to Way of Grace, the radio ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Pastor Jessica Stand is our teacher and pastor who currently has us in a series called Arise, Move, and Go. Today, we're going to continue in Numbers chapter 12 with a message that Pastor Jesse has simply entitled Family Matters. This chapter and this study are all about three things, jealousy, misperceiving, and discipline. And now with more from Numbers 12, here's Pastor Jesse with this edition of Way of Grace.
2: Bible-believing Christians know that jealousy and envy started with the devil. You must know that. You must know that that creature made by God rose to arrogant heights of self-importance saying, I want to be like the Most High God. Take God's authority. Y'all keeping up with me? And this is why it's so dangerous for you and so dangerous for me to drink the elixir, the delusive elixir of jealousy. It's a satanic root. It's a curse. And we know this because it showed up as early as Eve buying into the proposition of the devil that she can be like God. That was a reach of jealousy. You guys keeping up with me? And then it showed up again in their son, Cain who didn't like the fact that Abel had favor with God and his jealousy led to envy and that envy led to the murder of Abel. And then we moved down the road just a little bit and we saw this same hostility working in the life of the 11 brothers of Joseph. All because Joseph had had favor shown to him before God. Now they want to rise up in jealousy, turn in envy and slay their brother. And this moved on down the road to David because David had brothers. And when God had called David to step in the gap because of their weak, whippy fear of Goliath, they wanted to push David to the side. That's why David said, when my mom and my daddy forsake me, the Lord will take me up. I'm getting ready to show you something here because this culminates in a very clear prophetic picture for those of us who know that the Bible is about Jesus. This is always about the destruction of the one person that God has called. His name is Jesus. He is our big brother. He is our savior. He is our master. He is the one mediator between God and man and everybody that is not like him wants to pull him down. And it's rooted in jealousy and envy. What is jealousy? May I help you? Jealousy is the rotten disposition of the soul. It's a rotten disposition of the soul that is seeking to possess and control and dominate something which it doesn't have a right to. I want you to capture that. Jealousy is the rottenness of the soul. It's rooted in insecurity. It's rooted in low self esteem. It's rooted in a misperception of oneself. It can also be rooted in trauma. But jealousy is definitely the rottenness of the soul to want to unlawfully take what somebody else has to itself as if it has a right to do it. Or under the false assumption that in doing it, they have a better right to be in a position of being the object of affection and notoriety by everyone else than the person or the thing that they are seeking to take. Are you keeping up with me? So here's the definition. Here's the definition of it. The definition is really to prosecute something. The idea of jealousy is to prosecute, pursue a thing, to overtake it, to dominate it and control it. Envy is the attempt after jealousy to harm the thing that it is taking possession of. Envy is the rotten fruit of jealousy. Jealousy is something that dwells in all of our bosom. Envy is the fruit of it. Did that make some sense? Like jealousy is a consequence of jealousy is a consequence of our having levels of insecurity in ourselves. And you know it internally. You want to be loved. You want to be noticed. You want to be. We see it in our kids. Do we not? We see it in our kids. And so we recognize that they need to be approved of. They need to be affirmed. Do they not? Right. But you can't turn them into monsters by telling them lies like. You can be anything that you want. You never tell your kids that. Never set your kids up for failure. Don't tell them they can do anything. God cannot even do anything. God can't lie. God can't fail. God can't change. God can't create something bigger than himself. There are things that we cannot do. All of us might rise to levels of success in our life where we achieve certain goals, But we will never be better than anyone else in everything that we do. We will always come short of that. Am I making some sense? So the notion of telling your children they can do anything is to create the potential of what I am calling here a malevolent narcissist who lives in an unreal world thinking that it should rise to heights that it will never, ever achieve at all only to plummet into despair and then become the kind of sociopathic person that people that think that they should run the world do. This is really important for you and I to know. Now, having stated this before your hearing, wouldn't it be a plausible thought for you, for us to go, how long has Aaron and Miriam been thinking like this? Isn't that plausible? like they didn't wake up thinking like that. It wasn't the water in Sinai. Those, 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 those wadis in Sinai didn't have strange chemicals in it for Miriam and Aaron to wake up saying, you know what? We hate Moses. No. Under point number one, three quick subpoints. Let me help you capture them so we can go on. Let us understand that the goal of jealousy is to disorient reality. Here's the reality. Moses was called first. Did y'all get that? Is this just a fact of history? Moses was called first. Aaron wasn't called first. Miriam was not called first. Moses was called first. Let's just get the facts straight. Going to help you with this. It's very clear. And so far what you, so far with that, what you find is your Bible, in your Bible, whenever God is talking to, Mary, uh, to Aaron, Moses, he uses Moses' name first, then he uses Aaron's name and then he uses Miriam's name. Did y'all get that? He goes, Moses, Aaron, Miriam. That is not their chronological order. That's their order of calling. Because God always exalts the humble and abases the proud. He always puts the second in charge and takes the first and makes him lower. He always lets the one that appears to be the most vulnerable and the most susceptible to be the one in the lead. Y'all got that? Like Adam is first, Jesus is second, but Jesus is really first. So God always does that. He'll take the last and make it first, and then he'll make the first to be the last. Now this order of relationship carries a lot of significance, but first and foremost, it was simply something that Aaron and Miriam should have captured. So there was a season when God wasn't in their life. Is that true? And then God shows up. But guess who he shows up through? LeBron. LeBron comes in with a message saying it's time to go. Did that make some sense? Now we have our drama of redemption, don't we? Because I can imagine Aaron saying, well, why didn't God call me first? And then here come Miriam, which is older than Moses. too. Well, why didn't he call me first? That's what we get in verse two. So I want I want you to see this. This is Psalm 65, verse four. Moses was called first. This is what the psalmist says. I want you to capture this. Blessed is the what? Blessed is the man whom you choose, O God, and causes to approach unto you in order that he may dwell in your what? Did God call Moses on the backside of the wilderness in the burning bush? The Lord Jesus spoke out of that bush and said, Moses, Moses, Aaron and Miriam are nowhere to be found. God had called Moses first. Y'all got that? But in calling Moses, he's calling them too. Just in the same way in which God called the Lord Jesus to be the redeemer of the world. All that are in Christ are called too, but Christ is first, is he not? Moses here. It's also first in this sense. So our outline says Moses was called first, but what? So were you. Y'all got that? So were you. Anyone that's in Christ Jesus is called right along with Christ. But make no mistake, you're not Jesus. You're not even close to Jesus. I mean, you might be close, but in a lot of ways, you're not close at all. We can accept that paradox, right? I'm not Jesus, but in a lot of ways, I am but in a whole lot of ways, I am not. Just accept it. That's what John the Baptist said. I am not the Christ. I confess and I deny not. I confess I am not the Christ. But he was the forerunner of the Christ. God had set him up. Subpoint B Moses was called to lead. He was called to lead. This is what the scriptures are clear of. He's called to lead. And that's why Moses was drawn to God. He was called to be the lead of this larger eclectic calling. I love this, this is Psalm uh, Micah chapter six, verse four. And now Micah is a prophet way down the line, uh, 500 years before Christ. And listen to the order salutus, For I brought you Israel up out of the land of what? And I redeemed you out of the house of, uh, out of the house of slaves, and I sent before you, here's the order, saluted. Moses, Aaron, and who? Lock it in. He didn't call Aaron. He didn't call Miriam. He called Moses. And once he established Moses as the leader, Moses gets the two witnesses of his brother Aaron, even though Aaron is older, and of his sister Miriam, even though Miriam is older. Chronology has nothing to do with salvation or usefulness. Am I making some sense? Although in our family matters, we often like to pull rank and, and play authoritarian roles, don't we? I'm older than you, so what? You hear it all the time, don't you? I'm older than you. That just makes you more accountable. It might mean you're stupider than me. If you're older than me, shouldn't you know better? How come you're so stupid? Now, you kids should not be talking to each other like that. Do not do that. I'm not setting up a kind of language dynamic for you. But, you know, you could infer that. You got a big brother and he should be far ahead of you. But what we know, and this is what you're about to learn, is really the idea of jealousy and envy is against God. You have to know that when men and women act out, act up, act a fool, engaging what Miriam and Aaron are doing and Aaron and Miriam, it's really they're attacking the sovereignty and providence and design of God. Are they not? God is the one doing this. So a lot of times in our relationships with human beings, often too, when we are dealing with the tension that comes through pride and conflict, the kind of irrational arguments that people make against you or me, and sometimes we're scratching our head, what's going on? Really, they're arguing with God, not you. They're arguing with God. They don't like the way God has set things up. Am I making some sense? We're about to learn some some lessons in that as, as well. But it's very, it's very important for you and I to capture that under the first point. Jealousy is something that you want to, you want to be careful about because if I am asserting the truth, Moses was called first. Moses was called to lead. This is what Micah is teaching us. And I love this Psalm 33, 12. I want to give you a few more before we move on into a deeper analysis of this. The Psalmist says this in Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own what? That's not only Moses, that's Aaron and Miriam. That's the whole tribe of Israel. Are they not blessed? Did not God call them? Is not God using Moses, Aaron, and Miriam? Of course, but in an order that needs to be kept in check. Neither one of them get to do what they're about to do as is going to be asserted in verse two. And we need to be careful about that in our society, too. Here I talk to you guys about thinking clearly. I I talk to you guys about the necessity of having a coherent system of interpreting life, having a worldview that is consistent with Scripture and understanding science at the empirical and evidential level so that you and I are not given over to uh, major damning practices of irrational fantasy. We all fantasize. You have to distinguish between your fantasy and the facts. You have to know how to work. The difference between being a child, I'll say it one more time and I'll keep going. Our children get to work with fantasy much more than we do because they don't have room to actually engage in the real factory of hard physical work where there are consequences. Once you get to an age where you got to work, you got to be careful now because your fantasy can hurt people. I.e., that's what's happening in our world right now. Fantasies are hurting people. Children get to play with fantasies. Grown people don't. And if grown people play with fantasies, please put your flag up and say, hey, I'm fantasizing right now. I mean, if you want to hear me, I'm fantasizing. I'm fantasizing that I'm, I'm some big green elephant in the room. I'm fantasizing that I'm some God. I'm fantasizing I'm the Black Panther. I'm fantasizing that I'm this or that. Now we know that you're unhinged on purpose. And I don't have to take you seriously. But once you now want to take your fantasy and force it on me as truth, you are telling me to unreal the real and to reel the unreal. And I'm not going to do that. God doesn't even call us to do that. When we properly handle truth, it actually forces us into the vortex of sound reasoning that grounds us in reality that requires humility. There are things that are happening that are obvious to all of us. They are epistemically true. They are factually true. And we got to work with that. Now, we can build hypotheses. We can theorize. We can dream. But you cannot take your dreams now and use them as kind of, uh, you know, bowling balls or, 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 or major pillars to knock down reality in front of you because you want to be something that you're not. You can't do it. Moses and Aaron could not do it. And God's going to show them that here too. Again, I keep saying to myself, how long was it that Miriam and Aaron back home in Egypt when they hung out with their family which was in Egypt for 400 years, how long were Aaron and Miriam sitting around as little toddlers, blaming Moses for everything that they were going through? Am I making some sense? And I'll tell you why, because they had to actually deal with the fact that he was alive, but he wasn't living with them. They had to deal with the fact that they were operating out of a slave paradigm system under the very system in which uh, Moses was experiencing privileges. Y'all keeping up with me. And so they had to deal with the tension of knowing he was up here while they were down there. See, and that could easily play into the victim mentality that's going on in my culture today. Am I making some sense? And now you want to tear it all down, Marks. Now you want to tear it all down, Marx, because you don't like the cards that are played out to you. Well, I'm here to say that God knows how to take the lowly and exalt them on high. He knows how to abase every high mountain. He really does. And he dwells most of the time with the lowly and not with the lofty. So you might want to think about that. Jealousy to be on the lofty plain is thin air that only the delusional are comfortable with living in. I'm telling the truth. And so this is a struggle and a tension that we all have to work with. Everybody in this secular world wants to tell you you're you're happiest when you're elevated, not always. I've already told you the devil loves to get you out on the high plank of popularity and success only to undercut you and everybody watch you fall. I've already told you that, right? Before destruction goes pride. Right, and a haughty spirit before fall. This is what jealousy produces. Here is the solution under point number one. So point C, are you ready? Stay in your lane. I can close out the message today now. <laughs> stay in your lane. Did y'all get that? Stay in your lane. Two things I want to uh, comprehend here before we move on to point number two. To, learning how to stay in your lane requires a lot of discipline. Because people are crazy. I'm talking you. I'm talking about you. People are crazy. Staying in your lane is hard to do when two things are not present. One is the revelation. This is a revelation. Are you ready? That you actually have it better than you think. That's a revelation that must occur to you. What my, see when you meet, and I've said this for years. I know it goes over your head. I don't care. After a while, I just say either they get it or they don't. I'll meet you at the judgment. <laughs> Listen carefully to me. Thankfulness is an epiphany. Gratitude is an epiphany. A sense of appreciation for what you have is a revelation that has to be given to you. That is not obvious. That is not obvious to fallen human beings. You and I are far more inclined and prone to being disgruntled and discontented and complaining than we are going, Lord, thank you for good health. Thank you for a sound mind. Thank you for a healthy body. Thank you for resources. Thank you for my lot in life. Because, oh God, I believe that you chose me right where I am. And if you want me to go somewhere else, you can open the door and move me out whenever you want to. I'm here because you want me here and I have a purpose for being right where I am. That's an epiphany that most people don't have. That's an epiphany that most people don't have. We find this in first Timothy chapter six, verse six. Listen to it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Is that what your Bible says? Then based upon that axiom, most Christians in America are not godly. That'll come home in a minute. See, in this church, you got to think. Based on this axiom, most Christians are not godly. Because if they were really godly, it would show up in their contentment. Am I making some sense? If they were really godly, it would show up in their contentment. Because see, when you demonstrate contentment for what you have, you are demonstrating an awareness of whose you are and the potential of whose you are, giving you everything you need and more. And you don't have to feel like you have to fight and grasp after something because once you know you are the Lord, you know you are the one who possesses and owns everything. All oh, the cattle on a thousand heels is the Lord. He can give us all that we ever need or want. But it's rooted in a relationship of being contented with him. Am I making some sense? This is why most Christians are not, they're not godly. Just helping you out. Might be some in the house. You're not godly. You can tell by what's going on in your mouth. You can tell by your agitation. You can tell by your jealousy towards others. This is scary, however, that we're dealing with because staying in your lane is really, again, a profoundly uh, short-witnessed, Short lived testimony. But this is what Paul said also in Philippians four, verse 11 through 13. Now, you've heard this before. I want to put another uh, add another concept to this. Now, this is Paul. He's in prison. He's in the Roman prison. This is the area of uh, Caesarea Philippi, where he's talking about being in prison for the cause of the gospel. And notice, again, the set of principles he's operating out of. Again, we don't know this. Well, he says, not that I speak in respect of want, our desire our." our covetousness, for I have, what's the word? I have what? I have learned in whatever state I am, there went to be what? God taught him how to be content in his situation. right, so I've taught this to our men years ago. Contentment means being able to find everything inside the contents of that space and domain that God places you. It means to find everything within the content of that domain and space that God places you in. When a man is content, he comes to find the resources. When a woman is content, they find the resources right where they are in order for them to have everything they need for that moment. Now, y'all know what I'm saying is true. A lot of you guys have come up through a history where your people were poor and we had to survive on a potato a day.
1: We are out of time today. We'll close our program out here and pick up where we left off next time we're together here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. We trust it was profitable in your walk and relationship with Christ. Our goal here at Way of Grace is to make sure that you are growing in Christ, that you are living a life worthy of the calling that has been placed on your life from the gospel. If you have questions, comments, prayer requests, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us here at Way of Grace. Our phone number is real easy. You can reach out to us at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. You can also reach us at our website, grace-bible.com. And you can email us from that website as well as find out more about us, who we are, what we believe, worship opportunities. In fact, our worship opportunities are really quite simple. Sundays at 1030, we meet here at the church in Hayward. We also have a Friday evening Bible study at 630 and then a Tuesday evening prayer and Bible study at 630 as well. For more information, again, grace-bible.com or call 510 Eight eight six nine seven eight two. Reach out to us by mail if you want to write two two seven six eight Main Street. That's two two seven six eight Main Street, Hayward, California. The zip code is nine four five four one. As always, it's a pleasure spending time with you, hearing God's word, growing in His grace. Until next time, may Christ be. Your way of grace.
2: I don't care what they might say. We love Jesus
1: anyway. I don't care what they might say. We love Jesus
0: anyway.